Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Uh, so good to be with you guys. Um, we're continuing, if actually finishing our series on prayer called How to Pray, Simple Guide for Normal People, looking at uh, the book by that name. I'm just going to dive right in. Prayer uh, is a tricky subject, of course, because as I've, I've said all along, um, if you're sincere in prayer, uh, you you can't do it wrong. You cannot do it wrong. Prayers like pizza, it's all good. There's no bad version of it. You can't do it wrong. And yet, for so many of us, there's this, there's this feeling that we're not doing it right or, or we're not doing it right enough or maybe we're just not, just not doing it enough. Um, and I think that's pretty, um, I think it's pretty common. Um, I, I won't do this because I've already asked you to do one weird thing today, so that's probably my quota. But um, if I were to ask for a show of hands, I, I don't think very many of us would raise a hand and say, oh, prayer? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm crushing it. I'm nailing it. Like in all the ways, like I'm batting a thousand on prayer, and I'm probably doing like just the right amount because there's no such thing as too much prayer. So I'm doing the right amount of prayer. I don't think a whole lot of hands would um, go up and say, yeah, I just feel excellent across the board, prayer life, excellent. And as a result of that, because we know it's a really big deal, there's just sort of like ever-present, like ambient guilt, you know? I should be praying more. I should be, I ought to be praying more. So there's that. And as a, look, as a preacher, as a pastor, I don't, I don't want to take advantage of that. I don't want to leverage that to, you know, to take advantage in any way, but I also don't want you to just completely dismiss that either. Like maybe there's maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something worth at least considering, leaning into a bit. I'm about to read you a quote, but I gotta give you a like a like a trigger warning first. Um, this quote is this, this pithy little thing, and it's so true. It's so true that it's mean. You know what I mean? You ever notice that where people say, you just put your finger right on something and it's like, hey man, you could tell the truth, but don't, maybe not that much. Okay. So this is one of those quotes. So um, it's not designed, I'm not reading it so it can be this horrible gut punch to you. But if it can get your attention, like maybe that's good. And if it feels like a gut punch, then I didn't say it, John Piper said it. So <laughs> don't look at me. Or maybe look at me. Okay. Here's what he said. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Isn't that, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have read it. Just looking at your faces. Uh, but here's the thing. If you, have, if you have like this nagging sense that you aren't praying enough, Again, I'm not looking for ways of guilt here, but like maybe you shouldn't dismiss that entirely. Maybe there's something your soul is actually longing for. Uh, a bunch of years ago, Bryce was little. It was around Christmas time. I walked into the room. Bryce looked right at me. 
And he said, I love Santa more than daddy. Oh, oh, I was, guys, I can't, it would take me an hour to just go through the flood of emotions I felt in like one split second. Uh, but rage was right there. I was, I'll give you a reason to love Santa more than daddy. I mean, come on now. And so I, I held it in for just long enough to sort of lean in and go, hey, buddy, you want to run that by me? I didn't quite, will you say that again? And he said, you look handsome in that jacket. <laughs> oh, and if you're thinking, this is what I thought immediately. I love Santa more than daddy. You look handsome in that jacket. Santa more than daddy, handsome in that jacket. I can see it, but they're not that close. <laughs> like, they're really not that close. If that's what you're thinking, that's what I was thinking too. Like, I probably have, like, some unsettled Santa issues <laughs> going on right now, some, a little bit of jealousy, tired of buying all the gifts and him getting all the credit. So maybe that was just in my heart a little bit. Anyway, it was just, it was just a tiny second, you know. But in that tiny, I was hurt. I was. I was ready to remove Santa out of Bryce's life altogether. I was like, we'll go off the grid where no one speaks of him. That's fine. Because it was this feeling that, you know, you love first the gift and not the giver, right? And then this feeling that I had of being passed over in favor of something that's not even real. Sorry, cover your kids. Earmuffs. Um, I wonder if we don't, like, sometimes send that that message to God with with our lack of prayer. Maybe. Now, here's the thing. I, w- I went out of my way last week to tell you that it's good that we ask. We talked about asking petitionary prayer, asking God for stuff. I went out of my way to say this is good. We should do it. It's an act of obedience. Um, it's worship. It's formational. It shapes us. We should not hesitate to ask, to ask a lot, to ask big. And I meant that, and I meant every word of it, and I don't want to take any of it back. But just as a, like a thought experiment... What if asking for stuff wasn't even an option on the menu? Like, what if it just wasn't there? Just not a thing at all. And therefore, it was only about friendship with God and connection and intimacy with Him. How much would I pray then? You know, I'm not sure. So anyway, when we feel that that nagging sense that we're not praying enough. I, I, I don't think that what's happening when we feel that, and I think it's almost universal, I certainly do, when, when we feel that, I don't think what's happening is we're feeling this like backlog of requests that we haven't yet brought before the Lord. I, I don't think that's what our souls are sort of aching for. I think it's much more likely to be what I would characterize as a, as a lack of alignment, if you can think of it that way, being integrated. Prayer, uh, prayer aligns our souls our spirits, our bodies, our minds, with reality, with ultimate reality, with ultimate love. It shapes our priorities. It forces us to see the big picture. It gives us perspective. It's fellowship with God. And, and I think that's what our souls are aching for when we have that sort of ambient feeling. I, I really should be praying more. I really should. And that, I, I think, that is really what we're talking about. Um, here with the last letter in our cheesy but helpful acronym, pray, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. That's the last one. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Um, back, back to Bryce. Sorry, buddy. Um, uh, we've been teaching Bryce how to drive. 
<laughs> which is fun. Actually, he's doing a great job. Uh, it's terrifying, but not because he can't drive. It's just I'm just freaked out that he's old enough to be behind the wheel is what's actually happening. Um, anyway, while doing that, I have noticed that explaining what a yield sign means is actually pretty tricky to do. That's kind of a hard thing to explain. And uh, I've also noticed that I think a, a, great, a great deal of our fellow um, East Tennesseans also don't know what that word means. Have you noticed that? I think that's, that's kind of hard to explain. Uh, it literally means give way. Give way. So if you yield on the roadways, you're acknowledging, I, I think this is the be- most basic way to put it, you're acknowledging that the next move is theirs, not yours. Isn't that what it is to yield in the roadway? Next move is yours. It's not mine. I'm going to wait and see what you do next. That's the alignment or the, the integration that I'm talking about, where we yield to the Lord. We get aligned with ultimate truth. And there's so much of that in the Lord's Prayer. It's most of it really. I mean, through a certain set of lenses, it's kind of all of it in the Lord's Prayer, which we've been looking at together. It's, Lord, it's your kingdom I want to see come to bear on this earth, not my kingdom. Your will, not my will. I need you for even the most basic needs, my daily bread. I need you for the forgiveness of sins. I need you for rescue, restoration, or for, pardon me, rescue from, from temptation and from the evil one. Essentially, the whole thing is about acknowledging and yielding. And the next, the next move is his. And we want what he wants, and we, we need what he wants for us. We've talked about that. It's, that's basically what it is. Back to the yield signs by the road. It, it mostly just means to wait, doesn't it? Just take a beat. Just sit still until the next thing happens, until the next move becomes clear. That's what we're doing on the roadways. You, you've heard the expressions, um, don't just sit there, do something. Well, how about this? Don't just do something. Sit there. That's a big part of prayer. And uh, this is, once again, this has been a theme through this series, but this is one of the places, once again, where I think our words, our words just get in the way. We might think of prayer as just words. Sometimes words are the, the problem. Um, so I'm going to... There's a, there's a Christian philosopher named James K.A. Smith. He's very smart. If you have two abbreviated middle names in the title, then you're very smart. So James K.A. Smith is a Christian philosopher, um, and he's written one of my absolute, absolute favorite books. It's called You Are What You Love. If you're curious, it's a, I do highly recommend it. I will warn you, it's kind of a tough read. Like, it's not impossible, but it's a tricky one. Like, on a, on a scale of, like, Sesame Street to Aaron's not smart enough to read this, it's like a seven, <laughs> maybe seven and a half, something like that. So it's tough, but not impossible. But the premise of the book I'm going to share with you now, and it really is, the premise of it is really, really simple, which is this. We, we imagine ourselves, stay with me, by default, I think many of us, especially in sort of our very modern context, we imagine ourselves primarily to be thinking things, that, that, that essentially we are what we think. You are what you think. That's sort of the default setting, and because of that, and this is the point that he makes, we, we act basically like we're just heads on a stick. He, he calls it thinking thingism. <laughs> uh, we treat ourselves, think of ourselves, as, as thinking thingism, heads on sticks. Um, uh, John Mulaney, which is he's a 
communion I probably don't recommend, but um, <clears throat> he's, he said this. He said, I don't know what my body is even for other than moving my head from room to room. I think that's an, an illustration of that reality. We mostly think it's all right here. This is where the magic happens, and this ultimately is, is who I am. So I'm going to read you a quote by James K.A. Smith. I'm telling you, it's too long. I, this is what I do. I pick quote. I edit it. It's so, okay, it's too long. I'm sorry, but it's really good, okay? So you can do this. Stay focused. Zero in. Lean in. All the cheesy things I say to make you pay attention. Don't miss this quote. You ready? There we go. Okay. In ways that are more modern than biblical, we've been taught to assume that human beings are fundamentally thinking things. We view our bodies as, at best, extraneous, temporary vehicles for trucking our minds, trucking around minds, which is where all the real action takes place. In other words, We imagine human beings as giant bobblehead dolls with humongous heads and itty-bitty unimportant bodies. You are what you think is a model that reduces human beings to brains on a stick. Such an intellectualist model of the human person, one that reduces us to mere intellect, assumes that learning, and hence discipleship, is primarily a matter of depositing ideas and beliefs into our mind containers. We assume that a disciple is a learner who is acquiring more information about God. Sanctification by information transfer. If you are what you think, then filling your thinking organ with Bible verses should translate into Christ-like character, right? If you are what you think, then changing what you think should change who you are right? Have you ever found that new knowledge and information doesn't seem to translate into a new way of life? Ever had the experience of hearing an incredibly illuminating and informative sermon? And yes, you all have. Sorry. Ever had the experience of hearing an incredibly illuminative and informative sermon on a Sunday Waking up Monday morning with new resolve and conviction to be different and already failing by Tuesday night? You're hungry for knowledge. You thirstily drink up biblical ideas. You long to be Christ-like, yet all of that knowledge doesn't seem to translate into a way of life. It seems we can't think our way to holiness. Why is that? Is it because you forgot something? Is there some other piece of knowledge you still need to acquire? Is it because you're not thinking hard enough? What if it's because you aren't just a thinking thing? So, um, Gospel of Mark, we quoted James K.A. Smith. He's really smart. We're going to upgrade here and quote Jesus. Uh, Mark 12, 29 and 30, Jesus replied, the, the most important commandment is, he should have your attention, the most important commandment is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. If we think of loving God as just 
a work of our minds, then we're missing out on a lot. Based on that list, maybe we're missing out on most of it. And if, by extension of that, we imagine prayer to be just a work of our brains, just the mere piling up of words that we formed in here, words that we hope are intellectually coherent, words that we imagine to be theologically accurate, and we, we then offer those words formulated by our brains to God, and that's what prayer is, then we're missing a lot. Prayer is an action of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength or our bodies. What if God sees a conversation with you as much more than you reciting facts about him? What if it's way more than that? Like, if I had a chance to get to know Michael Jordan, and I feel like I haven't said this in a while, so Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. He's the GOAT. You can call him the GOAT. I'll know you're talking about MJ. So I get a chance to get to know Michael Jordan. Would I do that by reading his Wikipedia page to him? Is that how we would connect? And if he wanted to teach me how to play basketball, I don't know, maybe he saw potential there. I don't know, it could happen. (laughs) It couldn't happen. Anyway, if he wanted to teach me how to play basketball, he wouldn't do it by reading me the rule book, would he? Why would we assume then that walking with Jesus, spiritual formation, growth in our life with him, is primarily about the transfer of information, essentially from one mind to another? Why would we assume that prayer is just us talking to him, that it's words generated by our brains? What if it's way more, way more than just an intellectual pursuit? The goal is heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? If that's the case, why would our prayer practices be exclusively words, exclusively a mental exercise? Think about it this way. If you, if you came up to me and said, hey, good news, uh, this is really awesome. I am training for a triathlon. And I would go, first of all, I would be immediately impressed just by the sentence to go, wow, like you picked three horrible things and you're going to do them in succession. Like that's, that's impressive. I, I am just at the sentence, I'm impressed. You're training. Okay, that's awesome. Good for you. Very impressed. No, I won't join you, but that's awesome. Uh, how's the training going? And you were like, oh, it's great, great. You should see me swim. I'm like a fish, man. I'm like Michael Phelps. Like, I hit the water. It's like a torpedo. I slice through the water with ease, man. I'm an incredible. Like, I can swim, man. Great. That's an incredible start, I would say. Uh, How about the cycling? Oh, no, I can't. I can't ride a bike. Um, I got a balance thing, you know, so I I don't do that. Like, yeah, but you're, uh, it's, a, it's a triathlon, and you're, if you don't cycle, and they'd be like, oh, did I not tell you how I swim? I told you, like a fish. All right. Well, how about the running thing? I, does anybody actually like running? I don't, I, don't, I don't run. It's hard on the knees. It's hard on the knees. So I'm not, I'm not doing that part either. Okay. But your training's going great for the triathlon. Oh, yeah, I'm like a fish. Like, that would be really... Dumb? And I, I, maybe that's the way we approach prayer in general. Maybe that's how we approach life with God. 
Something happening just, just here. So Smith's correction in this is, guys, it's not just you are what you think. It's you are what you love. And we love heart, body, soul, mind. It engages them all. And prayer, again, you're not just heads on a stick. Prayer engages them all. And a lot of us, a lot of us stop praying when we run out of things to say, don't we? And I would submit to you that if that's the case, you're stopping right when it's getting good. Right when you're about to move past just the this part and onto the heart and the soul. Like, it's just getting good. This is way more than an intellectual pursuit. Okay. Um, a bit more personally. Let me tell you a way that I've been, I've been working on doing this myself. And, and this is an area in which I know um, I need to be intentional about yielding to the Lord. Okay. So um, there's a bit of a backstory that goes with this before I can get to it. So uh, as, a, um, as a little kid, I remember being with, it was at home, my family was around, and my mamaw was there. Mamaw, mamaw Hall or Mamaw Red. Or Granny Grunt, we called her sometimes. She didn't like that as much. Lots of nicknames. Anyway, Mamaw's there. And um, she was talking about preachers. And there's uh, preachers, it's like it's in the blood. There's lots in the family. And we've been, I was around church all the time. And so uh, I think, I don't remember, I'm assuming based on the context that we were talking about something awful a preacher had done, all right, which unfortunately is not a rare thing. And, and uh, Mamaw said something that really stood out to me. She said, these preachers, when, when they fall, she goes, it's always pride, lust, or greed. It's always one of the three, pride, lust, or greed. So weird thing about me, and this is, this is weird. It's not an example for anyone. It's just this weird thing. But when that happened, I was like nine or ten years old, if that. Um, but I already knew that I was going to be a pastor at that age. So I, weird, but when I was five years old, I think, uh, I remember hearing Monty Stevens at Heritage Church of God talking about the gospel talking about what Christ has done for us and what that means for us. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if that's true, then I want to give my whole life to telling people that. And as a little kid, I didn't, I mean, I didn't evaluate it. <laughs> just, that's just what I decided. So when Mamaw says, the trouble with these preachers, I, I lean in. Like, that's going to be me one day. She goes, pride, lust, or greed. And just reflexively, I thought, my, I thought to myself, it'll be pride. It'll be pride. And again, I didn't, I didn't evaluate it. I didn't, I didn't even think about why I thought that. It just seemed apparent to me in the moment. It'll be pride. And so I went, I, I, it was kind of in the back of my mind. It was something I would pray about. Lord, protect me from pride. And then I got a little older, uh, and then I hit puberty. And then I thought, maybe it'll be lust. Feels like that's, I get that now. I see. That could be a problem. <laughs> and so... It's like, all right, pride or lust. Pride or lust. And that's, okay, I want to be diligent. I'm praying about these things. And I've tried, I've tried actually to be, I mean, with, you know, I've tried to be extremely diligent about those two things in particular. It's just stuck with me, you know. I'm, I'm mindful, by the way, of my, my namesake. Um, uh, Aaron in the Bible uh, was a guy who seemed pretty comfortable getting up and speaking to crowds um, and also apparently lacked integrity and a backbone, all right? So that sort of rings in my ears a little bit. And so I think, okay, I want, I want to be really diligent. And, and I want to keep my guard up. And especially, I would think, okay, pride and lust. Pride 
and lust. But the third one, the third one was greed. And frankly, just never really concerned me much. Like, okay, like I don't, like in a weird way, I was like, I, get, I don't really get it. It's almost like before I hit puberty, I was like, I guess people could have a lust problem, but I don't get it. And then as an adult, I was like, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like money. I do. Um, but for whatever reason, it, doesn't, it just doesn't speak to me like it does a lot of folks. Isn't that allure, that draw? Just, I don't know, it just doesn't. So anyway, uh, go now just about five years ago. I was at church one Sunday. Uh, sitting to the side, or standing to the side, it was doing worship, I was about to get up to preach, it was the last song, I'm looking around the room, and I noticed that Mamaw was there that day, and I was like, oh, Mamaw's here, she had another church, so she just popped in sometimes to be supportive, and hey, Mamaw's here, and then I remembered that thing that she said, you know, the, the, the pride, or the lust, or, or the greed, and, and it, you know, sort of flashed through my mind, I gotta, Lord, protect me, you know, I wanna be, I wanna be diligent against pride, against lust, and then I, I'm like, it's like time for me to get on the platform. And the Lord speaks to me. I mean, just clears the bell. He said, watch out for greed. And I thought, I had, I had, my first two thoughts were this. Like, I don't think so. Uh, and, then, and then the second thought was like, really? I'm vulnerable to all of them? <laughs> like, that's just, apparently that's how humans are. I was like, come on. So I got up on stage. You might have been there, actually. You might remember this. Uh, the way that I push back against pride and against lust is I'm accountable to anyone who will listen. And I just I, tell, I talk about the struggles. I talk about where I'm at on those things. I you know I confess that I'm accountable. And so um, I think a, a pastor should be accountable to his congregation. So I got up and said, "Hey, the Lord just said this to me. Will you guys pray that I'll be protector?" I kind of gave the story. You might remember it. Anyway, since then, to be honest, the the pull toward money. Um, toward fear or worry about money, it's different now. I don't want it to be. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. Like before, honestly, I really I couldn't even see it as a temptation. I was like, I get it, but I don't get it. Okay. And now it's like, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> I can see it. So I've been, I've been washing out for greed. And out of that, I've developed... This weird little prayer practice, okay? I don't have a verse for it. <laughs> I made it up. I'm not necessarily even recommending it. <laughs> but it's illustrative to me and hopefully to you about how important it is that we yield to the Lord in prayer. So here's what I did because, um, honestly, before, I never, I didn't hardly ever even think about money or pray about money because it was just like, I don't know, just not in my mind. Um, and... Part of the way I address this idea, I should, be, I should be open with the Lord, I should be um, seeking his strength around the, the possibility of greed, is I probably should like think of it even less, right? which is probably not the right thing to do. And I realized you know, I probably need to, to pray, but I just, I just kind of, I don't know, I didn't want to be a big part of my life. Um, and so uh, I just didn't think about money much. And then, I think you're aware of this, we recently spent a few million dollars, <laughs> okay? There's no not praying about money. I asked you guys, job one, let's really seek the Lord about what to do. And I said, I'll go first, you know? I, when I asked you guys to spend 21 days in focused prayer, I had already done that, all right? Like, I, I should go first. And so there was no not praying about it. There was no not thinking about it. And so I needed, to, again, to develop a, a practice to sort of guard my heart in the whole thing. So anyway, you know the thing where if you walk into a door, you stand in a doorway, and you push your arms out like this, and you push hard enough for 
a few seconds, you know, 30 or 45 or 60 seconds, something like that. And then you walk out and relax your arms. Do you guys, are you guys with me? You're looking at me like you're exhausted. Okay. You with me? What happens to your arms? It just, oh, it's creepy, isn't it? I had talked to my kids about that like a year ago, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I didn't tell you that. I have failed as a father. I'm so sorry. This is the coolest thing. Let's all do it right now. It's so cool. Um, so anyway, when I pray about money, I stand inside the doorway, and I push my arms out like this, and I do this for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I'm, I'm weak, so it really limits how long I pray on the subject, okay? Um, it gets me right here. What are these called? Traps. Gets me in the traps, okay? So by the way, if you ever see me and I have like massive traps, you should probably talk to me. Like I've been, <laughs> I've been praying uh, in one direction. Anyway, <laughs> it wouldn't be from just exercising. So anyway, so I push like this and it gets me, you know, it limits how long I'll pray. But the, the really important part is that then I step out, and I just say, I want to surrender to you, Lord. And as I do it, it literally pulls my hands into the air to yield and to surrender to the Lord. And say, it's all yours, and none of it's mine. And you're always going to take care of me, and why wouldn't I trust you? It brings me to this place of surrender to God. They're like, why, why wouldn't I trust him? People wonder why we raise our hands. Like, is that just like spiritual showing off why did hey look at me no it's it's celebration it's honor and it's surrender right it's celebration it's honor it's surrender and as I do that I'm reminded that my will is flawed and there's so much that I don't understand and in the end I just want what he wants now you guys may already know this but the traditional ending of the Lord's prayer is not actually a quote from Jesus. Uh, it was added in the early days of the church. It's a, it's a very snappy sort of poetic part um, at the end of the prayer. For yours, or better yet, for thine. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I was always like my favorite part as a kid. It's very like, I don't know, poetic. Um, I was bummed out when I found out we weren't quoting Jesus on that one. Uh, but yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That, line, that is the very essence of yielding to the Lord. Said the whole deal, it's yours. The kingdom, the power, the glory, the everything forever is yours and yours alone. Now, you may or may not have known that we weren't quoting Jesus on that one. Um, but that portion of the prayer um, is directly from Scripture. You'll be glad to know. First Chronicles 29, 11 to 13, it says this. Yours, Lord, is the greatness of and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you. And you're the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand. And it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Isn't that great? So what I've done, the end of my little prayer practice, I have my doorway prayer. I extend my hands. I'm, I'm brought, even against my, not against my will, but, you know, to this place of surrender and yielding. And then I sit down and read those three verses. It's yours. It's all yours. Come on, it's not. It's all yours. It, it, 
riches, honor, they all come from you. Strength, glory, they all come from you. Power and might, they're all in your hands. They're not my hands. We don't want them in my hands. It's your deal. It's not my deal. It's your deal. It's not my deal. So I yield. I yield to you, Lord. The next move is yours. The next move is always yours. Yielding to the Lord.